scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 11. As you're turning there, the children this morning are free to go to Children's Church upstairs in the Children's Chapel if they'd like to head up there. They're welcome to do that. We are in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. When it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light you in Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then, your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. We're continuing now in the Gospels, chronologically looking at the life of Christ. And we come now to this portion here where Jesus talks about seeing again and light in the eyes. But the context of this passage goes back a little before that because what was happening now is the crowds were starting to get larger again. Remember in John chapter 6, before he entered into this last year, this year of opposition, the crowds were dwindling. People walked away from him. But all of a sudden, it says here in the text that the crowds begin to come again in verse 29, just a bit before what Pastor Jason read. They're increasing again, but, but again, Jesus sees the real reason for that. And in fact, they kind of show their hand when they ask for another sign. They want more signs, more signs and wonders, more confirmation. That's really not what they wanted. What they really wanted was to trick him. They really wanted to find a way to trip him up. They had gone beyond the point that they were really genuinely looking to find out who he was. At this point, in this year of opposition, they were out to get him. And they wanted any ammunition they could get. And Jesus knew that. As I look at this passage, this is a sidebar. This isn't the main thing. This is what came to me as I worked through the text. I just think of my own heart. How incredibly selfish it is. And how much like them... I can be self-seeking, wanting it to be about me, wanting him to do something for my benefit. All of us are there at times. And all of us have been there. All of us really aren't very far from the camp of those who were trying to trip him up. Our hearts can be like that. And the thing that overwhelms me is that he came anyway. He knew that was the case. He knew the fickleness of our hearts. But he came and he entered into the brokenness for us. But leave that thought back there. Think about that as you continue through Christmas. Now, look at the text again. In light of that, Jesus gives them a response. We didn't read about it, but his response to them was, there won't be any more signs except the sign of Jonah. What did he mean by the sign of Jonah? What he meant was, there won't be anything else. It's about who I am. It's about my death, burial, and resurrection. Is that not what the death of Jonah or the life of Jonah pictures to us? 
He was cast into the sea. He was buried. He was in the tomb of the fish. And he was resurrected out. No other sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Again, don't you marvel at the storyline of the Bible? I hope you do. I hope, you, I hope you're strengthened as you see that it's one story. The story of Jonah is not a story about Jonah. It's a story about God. And a picture He gave us that He would use now. And in the book of Matthew we read about it as well. No other sign will be given except the sign of Jonah who spent three days and three nights You see the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection. It says three days and three nights, so I hope you catch that. It was Good Friday to Sunday. That's only two nights, so why? Why does Matthew say three nights? It was a Jewish way of saying it. Any part of a day that you would spend was a day and a night. And so the first day was Friday because part of Friday was spent. The second day was Saturday, all of it. And the third day, part of it again, Sunday. So the way a Jew would say that is three days and three nights. And Jesus said that's the only sign that you will be given. Why? Because I think it's the ultimate sign. We talk a lot about the gospel. We talk a lot about needing the gospel continually in our lives. It's just another way that Jesus says it's about me, which is what the gospel is about death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what you need to see. You don't need another sign. You don't need another wonder. You just need to see me for who I am and see the implications of the death, burial, and resurrection. That's what I mean when I say we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. You need it every day. You need it multiple times a day. You need to be reminded of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And not just that, but all of the implications of that. You need to see it clearly. What it means for your life on a daily basis. If you're going to effectively live out this Christian life. Now, the problem is that many people don't see the implications correctly. They don't see clearly Look at the text here. Um, actually, if, if I were writing this, and in fact the way I'm going to preach it is I'm going to begin at verse 34 and we'll go through verse 36 and then we'll tag on verses 33 because I think that is the outgrowth of what is in the second half of that text that was read this morning. And there he concentrates. He says, the eye is the lamp of your body. You see that whole, that whole terminology of seeing it's all over Scripture. The eye is the lamp of your body. If you're going to be enlightened on the inside, you have to have eyes that see clearly and let that light in to your life. The problem is many people have clouded eyes. And clouded eyes mean, doesn't mean you don't see. You just don't see it correctly. And there are lots of people who don't see the implications of the gospel correctly. Now, they think they do. That's the danger of it. They think they see it clearly. They don't even know they don't see it clearly. 
And it causes all kinds of havoc around us. I want to just share some of those. Because in essence, what they think is light, the Bible says, is really darkness. Look at the text. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. And I'm going to talk about some ways that cause you to be filled with darkness and you don't even know it if you reside here. If this is what you see as the implication of the gospel and of Christ and his coming and the meaning of why he came, if you see it this way, you are full of darkness. And what God has to show you is it is darkness, not light. It's not light like you think, but rather darkness. The first thing, and I'm going to take them in a progression of order, and there are certainly more than this, but some that that I have penned here today. First of all, you see Christ, you see Christ possibly here today, even on this Christmas Sunday morning. You're here, but the way you view Christ is a fairy tale for the uneducated. People just don't think enough if they embrace this Christ. Just haven't thought it through. And, and there's no way anybody of any intellectual prowess could embrace this Jesus. You, uh, you think religion is a crutch for the weak, maybe. You may even call yourself an atheist. You may not say that, but you just say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is a God. Every time I think of this particular way people see, I'm reminded of a couple of things. The first thing I'm reminded of, and I told you this a few weeks ago, maybe you want to take this exercise on yourself. If you don't get the Aberdeen News, just get it for a while. And every time you get it, turn to the obituaries and read them. Increasingly, you will find in those obituaries Multitudes of people who live someplace else and come back here to have their funeral and be laid to rest. Now, some of those people would not fit into the camp I'm going to talk about. Maybe, maybe, maybe lots of them. I don't know what percentage. Lots of them don't. But some do. I think the reason that number is increasing is because they fit into some way into the camp I just talked about. That Jesus is a fairy tale for the uneducated. And ramifications like that. In other words, they were in the church. They were around Christianity here. They have some connection to it. But then they went off to make a life for themselves someplace else. And probably never darkened a church door or rarely. And so all of a sudden they come to a sudden death, maybe young, or have lived a full life and pass away. What do you do? Where do you turn? It's just another example to me. As much as people want to run away from it, you can't. (laughs) There comes an end. And increasingly you read about people who come back here so that people who know them can gather around them and, and they can have a Christian burial. The other illustration that is somewhat similar to this is one that some of you have heard. 
But a number of years ago, when George Bush Sr. came to Ipswich to candidate, he was then seeking the nomination for, for the President of the United States. He hadn't gotten it yet. He was, he, was, he was battling for just the nomination to run for President. But I remember it was big news when he came to Ipswich, and we heard that he was going to gather in the gym in an open forum kind of setting, and so everybody thought we're going to go off to see the President, including myself. And as I got, or not the president, but the presidential candidate and vice president then. Um, and when, when, uh, when we went into the gym, um, we found out that we could ask, we're going to get a chance to ask questions. There was going to be an opportunity to have it opened up so you could ask questions. So I quickly formulated a question. If, if I got a chance and that microphone got close enough, I was, going to, I was going to take my chance at being noticed. And so certainly when it came, I did and I was. And, and the question isn't important. Even really all of the rest of the answer isn't totally important. In fact, it's probably something that, that they, they use. They have certain ways they respond to different questions. And I'm sure this, this story was one that was going to be used when that kind of question was asked. I don't have any doubt about that. But I read later this in a magazine account that the illustration that he gave was true. A true event that happened. And it, it was his response to the question, what would you do to strengthen the family? And his response to that question, he told the story. He told the story of being in the Soviet Union to be the representative of the United States, at the official representative of the United States at the, at the death of Premier Brezhnev. Now, if you're of my generation, um, you remember Brezhnev. And you remember that stern look he had. And you remember Cold War kinds of things. And you remember communism. And you remember wondering if we'd have a nuclear blow-up someplace between the two countries and the give and take and all of that. And Brezhnev was part of that. He was at the, at the latter part of that, but he was, he was at it, in it. And I remember what, what uh, George Bush Sr. told, the story he told. He told of being at that funeral, being at the right vantage point, that he saw Mrs. Brezhnev go by the side of her husband for the very last time to, to pay her respects. And I'll never forget that he said, before she left his side, now this is cold, atheistic Russia. This is a country where, uh, if you're an old person, you maybe can believe, but you dare not tell your children about God, or you may be in Siberia. That's the setting. Before she left his side, the side of Premier Brezhnev, the the person that represented the Soviet Union, atheistic Soviet Union at that time, she made the sign of the cross. How can that be? Every time I tell that story, I I get chills up my body. It is a picture. It is a picture of those who would say it's for the uneducated until until they really begin to think about the real issues of life sometimes. And sometimes they wait till it's too late. Everyone worships something. You worship something all the time. It's just what do you worship? We are worshipers. We are wired to be worshipers. So you are worshiping 
something always. Make sure, make sure it's a treasure worthy of your treasure. The second way people think they see, but it's darkness, is that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. I mean, they don't discount him. In fact, they read what he wrote in the Gospels. They will study Jesus. They will study him in literature. They like a lot about him, but they, they piecemeal it. Take part of it, leave part of it behind. They call him a good moral teacher. Now again, what I'm going to say is probably not new to you. But it was C.S. Lewis who probably said better than anybody else could say. You, you, can't, you can't just believe Jesus was a good moral teacher. You can't. He, he, he could not be a good moral teacher for the reason that he either would have to be a lunatic and believed he was God, genuinely believed he was God, but he was a madman. He deceived himself. Or he was a blatant liar. He said he was God. He claimed equality with God. So, how can he be a good moral teacher when he blatantly would have lied about that? Or, as Lewis said, he has to be Lord. Good moral teacher is not one of the choices to make in light of what he said. If you really look at what he said, he is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. You don't have another option. Some people want to choose another option and they think they're full of light. They think they're more enlightened. They think they've got it right. And what the scriptures would say is, it's darkness. They think it's light, but it's darkness. The third thing was what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Um, they see kind of a sentimental idea about God. Kind of the old George Burns picture of God. Just a good old guy. A good old guy who will let some stuff slide. He'll, he'll let some things go by. He can't be, he can't be this Old Testament God. He's this New Testament God. I like the New Testament God, not the Old Testament God. That's, that's kind of the way it works. They do it by a couple of things that I've talked about. One is they, they elevate their own performance somehow to feel like, well, they'll be okay, or they bring down his standard. One of those two things. They, they, they bring up performance, they bring down the standard, think, well, I'll be okay, I'll, I'll land okay here. Just kind of a sentimental, it's not rooted anywhere except in goodwill. Just goodwill. The world is full of goodwill. God will be a God of goodwill. Surely he will be a God of goodwill. And they live their life there. And they think it is light when it's darkness. They think they see clearly. They think they see this God the way he is, but they're full of darkness inside. You can look at the last couple of weeks or listen to the last couple of weeks for more about that. Their assurance is built on nothing than goodwill. Another group is a group that I would put in the camp 
who would be a, a group that would um, fall under the category of, of uh, Jesus started a work, but it's a work that needs to be finished. It's a work that needs some work, in other words. And lots of people see this way. In fact, I would say a great majority of people who fill churches this Christmas Sunday morning would see it this way. They would, they would believe that Jesus needs to come. He needed to come. He needed to die. But what He did is not quite sufficient enough. And so I need to come alongside Him and I need to add to it. And if I add enough to His work, then God will let me enter into His kingdom. Now they might not blatantly say it that way. They might not say it that directly, although there's some that would. There are many who would. It's really what the issue of the Reformation was fought over at the heart of it. But most people just operate that way. They, they just think they see that. That's the way it should be. It, we've used lots of words for it, but, but it's a moralistic kind of Christianity. That Jesus came to help us do better. And if we do good enough, we get to get into the kingdom. How do you know if, if you're seeing that way? Because you think it's light. It feels good. In fact, one of the things we said is it gets stroked in the church. That kind of seeing gets stroked often. You get patted on the back for that kind of seeing sometimes. And so it just stokes it more. It stokes more of it. Moralistic Christianity. How do you know that there might be darkness and not light in your heart in that regard? I think one of the ways to judge it is, what's your spirit like? What kind of spirit do you have about others? Do you have a critical, judgmental kind of spirit among those that you gather with? Do you kind of size them up in your mind? Do you have a pecking order that you kind of put people into and you put them in this category or that category or another category? That's a real sign that maybe, maybe, what you think is light is really darkness in your heart. Another thing that happens is a person that is in that category rarely talks in terms of confessing their sin because they rarely see their sin. In fact, they can't see their sin. If they see their shortcomings, they're not working hard enough. To acknowledge that would cause them to be in trouble. So oftentimes they will, they will overinflate their performance as well. They won't acknowledge the depths of what goes on in their heart. They won't acknowledge the things in their heart that need to be acknowledged and need to be confessed. They never ask the question, which I'm grateful many of you are asking more and more in this body, what's going on in my heart? Where did that come from? Why am I agitated? Why is anger rising up? They don't ask that kind of stuff. They don't go there very much. Because they see this whole thing of Jesus as a work. Yes, He needed to do. But I have to finish. To finish it in such a way that somehow I will merit His favor. That's a heavy, heavy load to bear. It doesn't make for very joyous Christianity. It is burdensome. It is a heavy burden 
that people bear often. It causes all kinds of stuff to pop up and to pop out. Joy is not a term that they would associate with their faith much. It's because they think there's light, but it's darkness. Well, what's the remedy? There's lots more and lots of ramifications from all of those. But what's the remedy? What's the remedy? Because the tragedy is it feels so right. It it can feel so right. All of those can feel so right. We can feel that we have all kinds of light when in essence the Bible says you're full of darkness because you're not seeing clearly. The remedy, I think, is that we look to Christ. You just look to Him. That's what Jesus said here. You don't need any more signs. You don't need any more wonders. You need the sign of Jonah. And you need to look at that and what the real ramifications of that are. What the Gospel is all about. And it is not about what I just talked about. That is not the Gospel. Get the Gospel right. Part of, part of the problem with this whole issue is that we have been so taught in our culture to follow some inner light there's some kind of inner light. If we just get in touch with our inner light, it'll take us the right place. The inner light really is darkness. If you look into yourself to find some inner light, you will follow darkness. You will not follow light. The light does not reside in you until you see clearly. You see, the eyes become the lamp. As we see Christ clearly... Then it illuminates us inside. But you don't look inside, you look outside. You look to Christ. The true Christ, the biblical Christ. To the sign of Joan and all its ramifications. And what is that? It is the gospel. It is the finished, completed work of Christ for you. That's what you must look to. If you're looking anywhere else, You are not filled with light, but rather darkness. The light comes when you begin to see that Christ finished the work. He finished it. It's completed. It is a real hope. You don't have to manufacture this hope. You don't have to to just convince yourself of this hope. It is hope. A work finished with Christ. He finished it. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Is that what you see? Do you see what a treasure it is? Do you see Him as the Savior that He is? Period. You are saved by Christ. Jesus said, here it is about me. In the text that we didn't read, He talked about the whole issue of the sign of Jonah. But then He talked about the Queen of the South. If you look at verse 31. She went to find the wisdom of Solomon, who at that point, at that point in his life, was the wisest man in all of the earth. And Jesus says, in relation to that story here, someone greater than Solomon is here. Someone greater than Jonah is here. Those were pictures of something to come. 
And I say to you this morning, does, do you rest in the finished work of Christ? Do you see it? Do you really see it? Is it, is it something that causes joy and hope and strength and peace and assurance to rise up in your life? Now, that's not a constant. That's why you need it all the time. You need to keep being reminded of it. But do you, do you know where to go when you begin to have some of those things that I just talked about waver? Do you know how to, how to have them restoked into your life? You do it by going back to the gospel. You do it by going back to Christ. By what he accomplished and what he did. That's why you need the gospel every day. That's what should fuel our walk as Christians. Light, not darkness. Look at the text again and then we're going to close this morning as we sing. Let me read it. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Be careful you're not deceived. Be careful you see clearly. If then your whole body is full of life, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright. And when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And then, and then I think, the rest of the text. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it on, puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. If you have light, the world will see it. You will share it. It will be the overflow of your life. You don't share something that's burdensome, except under compulsion. You own under the fact that somebody tells you you have to because you've got to finish a work. Because Christ started it, you've got to finish. You may do it for those reasons, but you don't do it spontaneously. You don't do it joyfully. Because you're not going to export a burden. But when you begin to see Christ for who He is, when you begin to see Him for the hope that He is, it changes everything. You have light to give to the world. I pray that that's the case in your life. I pray that you are resting in Christ alone. That you see Him as the hope that has come. And that hope strengthens you this Christmas morning. Let's stand together. We're going to sing. Hope has come.
Let us lay our gifts before Him. Let us magnify His name. With our thankful hearts adore Him. For the Lord has come to save. He has come to make His power. He has come to set us free. Hope was born that glorious hour. Christ the mighty King. some here this morning that just don't see him as very glorious I pray they will just look look at him continue to look at him till God helps them to see the treasure that he is help them to seek counsel of those who seem to see Christ as a treasure and to ask questions to ask them about their journey there I pray they won't settle. I pray they won't stop until they know their heart is full of light. And Lord, as your light fills our hearts, as we feed on the gospel, may we be beacons, Father, to others of that hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.